0: Today is going to be a little bit different because we are addressing a question that was put forth to us in our Ask Anything series. Last December we put questions to you guys. You guys put questions to us, I should say. You asked uh, a lot of questions and we put those into a survey. You guys voted on them and we did the top 10. So now we're at number six and the question was, um, how do we experience God? And that's a very, I know, vague, abstract question, but... I got several questions that were like, you know, how do I pray? How do I study my Bible? How do I experience God? So what I chose to do was, like a good politician, I just took the questions and made them the question that I wanted to, to, to address today. And so we're, we have the question, how do we experience God in our walk with Christ? And so I'm merging a few questions together here to make it more concise Um, But so often I hear students ask the question. students always ask questions like, well, how do I experience God in my walk with God? How do I read the Bible? How do I pray? Where do I start? Like, where do I start in the Bible? So today's going to feel a little bit more like a workshop than a sermon. And if you don't know the difference between those two things, um, you sometimes cry during sermons and you never cry during a workshop. So that's the main difference, if I were to say it to you this morning. So um, today we're going to look at... How to study the Bible and prayer together, and how these two are inseparable. I really do believe that looking at the Bible and your prayer life should be completely and totally tied together. And so, um, but before we start, I want to give you just this this sort of a picture here. I know that when most of you think about prayer and Bible study, most of you think of it like taking medicine or eating your vegetables, right? You don't know how it works, you don't know why it works, you just know someone told you you're supposed to do it, and so you might do it sometimes, you're not really sure how or why it works. In fact, uh, a few years ago, my wife and I went to Rwanda on a mission trip, and had to go get checked out the doctor first, and they gave us like medicine in case we got sick. And so, if I got sick in Rwanda, what am I, I'm going to take the medicine, why? Because the doctor said so. I don't know how it works or why it works, I just know it works. And it doesn't taste very good, but I'm going to obey the doctor and, and do what they told me to do. So that's kind of how I think a lot of you approach your Bible reading and your time with God, is you don't know why you do it, you don't know how it works, you just know you're supposed to do it. And so for a lot of you, it's like taking medicine, which is a completely joyless experience, right? And so um, we want to get past that today and understand this can be a life-giving Joy-producing thing in your life. It needs to be that in your life If all you see it as just taking medicine or eating your vegetables and it's just That's just not the point of it. So we're going to look at how to um get into this today and and really uh apply this now um How many of you would go to would ever go to a nice restaurant? And just engorge yourself with food and then not eat again for a week. How many of you of guys would actually do this? Um, in real life. Okay, we have one person over here. Uh, have you tried this before? Have you tried this. Okay, um, that's kind of messed up. So, so people like Maddie over here, they they try what I call the the Python approach, like eat a whole deer and don't eat for six months, right? And so, but this is exactly what many of you guys do. This is just what many of you guys do in your walk with God. You just kind of consume one meal a week. You come here on Sunday, come here on Wednesday, two meals a week, and you um, just consume it in, and you don't really feed yourself at all throughout the week. And I really think it's not—it's not a very healthy way to feed yourself spiritually. You've got to learn to feed yourself if you're ever going to grow in your walk with God. So, um, before we begin, I'm gonna have some time in a moment where you guys are gonna study a passage at your table, answer questions about the passage. So get ready for that. But here's what I want to give you first off is, um, if you're ever going to get into studying the Bible on your own, there's five main things that you need. If you like to write things down, write these things down. But the first thing that you're going to have to have is a consistent time and place in your schedule, weekly, daily, that you do this. And I know some will say, well, that's that's getting legalistic. And I would ask you the question, well, is it legalistic for a guy to plan a date for his girlfriend is it the guys are like yes it is the girls are like no it's not so it's not legalistic listen listen it's not legalistic to plan and be intentional about stuff my wife and i planned a dinner last night to celebrate valentine's day so we had to put plan and intention behind that and that's not legalistic for some reason we we get caught up in thinking that if you plan something that somehow it's like rule-based and legalistic. It's not. You're being intentional about it. So uh, so for me, um, I've realized, especially with two kids, I've got to get up before they get up. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So that requires that some mornings I'll get up at 5 a.m. and just go and, and spend time reading, praying, sleeping. No, not the sleeping part. But the reading, praying part, definitely that. And I will... uh then go to the gym afterwards typically and then come home by the time i'm home the the kids are going crazy and and courtney is like can you give me some help please right and so um you've got to have that time carved out if you don't you're just not gonna do it you're just not gonna do it the second thing you need is simple yet profound and you need one of these right here a bible now um what i suggest There's a couple things I want you to know about what kind of Bible you get for your time with God. I would say avoid some of these like highly specialized Bibles that I see out there. Um, I've seen Bibles for women, Bibles for single women, Bibles for moms with three kids. Like The the list goes on and on and on, and it gets pretty ridiculous. I saw this one, the one-minute Bible, which if you only have one minute to spend in God's Word, then something's the matter with that right um i also saw this one the extreme teen bible does anyone have this bible i just want to see anyone no one's going to admit it of course so um i've never opened this bible i don't know what's in it but does jesus write a skateboard like what is the extreme about this bible i have no idea but um The reason why I say avoid these kind is because they kind of make you the center of the attention, right? They kind of make you the point, like, I need a Bible that's just for me and for my needs, right? Like, every little passage that parable is about, like, you know, single moms or what, I don't know, just, it's highly specialized to me. It takes the focus off of God and his glory and puts it squarely on you, which is where it should not be. So avoid this kind of stuff if you have those. Donate them to charity. I don't know. But um, don't ever throw a Bible away. Don't ever throw a Bible away. Um, Now, the kind of Bible that I recommend is this next slide. And you've seen uh, people carrying this thing around, partly because it's a great Bible, but it also acts as a great weapon. If you want to throw it at somebody, it's huge. Um, But I really believe in the ESV study Bible because the notes that come with it are just invaluable, it is the best Bible out there, hands down. Right, Cameron Slademan? Absolutely. And so if you have access to, if, if you see um, a student carrying this Bible around, um, then, then I, have, uh, I have approved of them, right? They've gained my approval to be here at the Outback. So um, if you don't have this Bible, please get one because you desperately need it. Um, but if you don't like to carry big books around and look really intimidating all the time to people, you can also download the app for this Bible, and it comes with all the notes with it. It is $35, but how much did you spend last week on other stuff? It's less important, right? So um, the cool thing about the app, though, listen, the cool thing about the app is that um, it can be on your phone, your iPad, and everything, anything else that you have that, that would have an app on it. And, uh, and the cool thing is that apps never really wear out, right? They stay, they stay consistent. But I still recommend that you actually use a Bible hard copy. Here's how I use the app, though. I have the app for this Bible on my iPhone and my iPad. And what I do is I get the iPad out. I'll get my hard copy Bible out, which I'm, I'm going through the chronological Bible right now, which is a lot of fun. And so I'll get my passage out. I'll read it like so I can write on it, draw pictures of people on it, and lots of fun stuff like that. And um, But I'll also have the, the iPad open to that same reference so I can follow along with that and have the notes there right in front of me. So I think you still need the hard copy. I want you to have the hard copy. But if you can get the app, please do so. You can you can uh, take it around, and it's not as intimidating to carry that thing around uh, everywhere you go. The next thing you will need is, this is called a pen, right here. This is a pen. And I know we're in the digital age, but I highly recommend that because you can underline what jumps out to you as you are reading scripture. The next thing you need is a reading plan. Might seem obvious, but I do not recommend that you play Bible roulette and just flip to the page and see where it lands Because it might be the passage where Judas hangs himself, okay? And you're going to ask yourself, well, how do I go out and apply that? I don't know how to apply that passage. So so you need a reading plan. I would just Google that, like figure out one that you want to follow and follow after it and get after it. The last thing you need that I'd recommend to you is a journal. Now, this is not a diary. This is a journal. Men have journals. Women can keep their diaries. But this is a journal, and this is basically just writing down stuff that you, that you learn, things that you're observing in Scripture. It's really cool to go back at some point in life and look back at what you wrote. Like I have stuff that I wrote when I was 16 years old. And so if I ever feel like I'm not understanding you guys as much, I go back and go, oh, yes, that's why. That's why they did that. And uh, it's very helpful just seeing how God has brought you through your life and it's also a great way of helping you remember his faithfulness to you throughout your life. So I highly recommend that. And, uh, and so let's get to it. I'm going to cover over this very quickly and just hit point by point. And then I'm going to give you guys a couple passages. You're going to look at them yourselves and study away here this morning as we at your tables. So the first things I tell people, first off, at your tables, you've got little cards that say how to study the Bible. And on the back of those cards, I'd recommend that each one of you guys get one of those. Put it in your Bible. You can keep this with you uh, as you do your devotional times and and have some questions on the back you can answer every time you crack up on the Bible. Now, this is an exhaustive list. I'm not going to cover every one of those questions today, um, but I'm going to give you like a shortened version of this uh, today as we get into this. So the first thing that you do when looking at the Bible is observe. Everyone will say this. You're not trying to apply yet. You're looking at observation. I'm trying to answer the question, what do I see in this passage? And some questions that you want to try to answer are questions like, okay, who's the author? Who wrote it? Uh, simple questions like that. Um, what do you know about the writer? Off the top of your head, what do you know about the person who's writing this? If you don't know about this person, read back in the intro of your ESV study Bible, because you will have one, and um, and see what you can write. Uh, know about the the writer of that particular book what is the situation or context that's always helpful what is the context what's the before passages before i read this passage and what's the context of the whole book what is hard to understand i'd recommend putting a question mark next to what passages is difficult to understand so when you look at your study notes you can see oh this this passage means this here's what it means and then lastly what surprises you in this passage? Like, what's surprising? uh, You expected this person to act this way, but they acted this way in this passage. What surprised you about that? And so that's step one, observe, right? Step two, what what I would call uh, interpretation, interpret. What does it mean? Some simple questions to ask are things like, what stands out in this passage and why? Do you ever uh, find yourself reading the Bible and you're kind of reading through it, and, and it's like Charlie Brown's teacher, like wah, wah 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 wah, blah 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 blah. And then you get to that one verse, and it leaps off the page at you. W- what do you think that is? It, it just might be the Holy Spirit prompting you to say, "Yes, that verse. Like that verse is 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 leaping off the page at me." And so I underline those, and I further reflect on those uh, when I journal later on. So what stands out in the passage and why? What does the passage say about God's character? What does it say about who God is? And then lastly, what does this passage say about mankind in general? What does it say about mankind in general? And then the third step is what I call apply. So how does this passage apply to us? Some simple questions to ask are things like, are there any commands to obey, sins to avoid, promises to claim, examples to follow? How does this passage convict me? So as you move from the the passage that that leapt off the page at you, um, how does that passage move you to conviction, right? And then lastly, what principles apply to life from this passage that I can kind of write out and reflect on in my prayer time? All right, so look at Psalm 13, and we're going to start there. And we'll see how this goes. This may take longer than I thought, but I'll make sure you get out of here before uh, 3 o'clock. So Psalm 13. Psalm 13, and we're reading it together. And you guys are going to discuss this at your tables. You're going to go through the questions I just went over with your tables together on Psalm 13. So look at Psalm 13. This is a poetry deal from David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So your job now is whoever's got the discussion sheet at your table, those questions that you see at your table that are just the, the the um observe, interpret, apply, just those questions right there. Look at Psalm thirteen and you guys as a table collectively answer those questions together on Psalm thirteen. Go ahead and discuss. I want to show you a couple of ways that this passage does apply and how quickly you can see in a passage a way to apply it and a way to let God convict you through the passage. So a couple of things that I got from this when I read it this week was that I never pray this honestly with God. Do you? Like I never say the wor- the kinds of words hardly ever say the kinds of words that to God that David is praying to God. So number 1, I hardly ever pray this honestly. Number 2, um, what I got from it was, uh, is that it's possible to trust God while at the same time feeling in complete and utter despair. You see David like switch from questioning God, doubting God, and those kinds of things in his suffering, but then he quickly moves to, no, but I still know you are a God to be worshipped. You're still the the one true, sure thing in this universe that we live in. And so I want you to know that this morning, that there that's that's true, right? And and that's a place that you can rest as a believer in Christ. The next passage for you is Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to 20. And here's what it says It says, Now, when Jesus saw a crowd, I'll, I'll give you some time to turn there. If you don't have it there in front of you, you can look on the screen for now. Matthew 8, verse 18 to 22. It says now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leave the dead to bury their own dead. Ask the same questions you just went through with the first passage for this one. I'll give you a few minutes. And if some of you guys have study notes in your Bibles, utilize them. Now, I know you guys are not done, but something you'll learn very quickly is that Bible study is never done. So um, that's just the way it is. But something I want you to see with this, the very first question, who wrote it? Obviously, Matthew. So Matthew was a what? A tax collector. What do we know about what the Jews thought about tax collectors? They hated their guts. And so what I just that one little thing, here's what you get from it. Listen, listen. What grace... Right. What grace that that God would allow someone who the Jews despise to write one of the Gospels as a testimony of his grace. Right. So just that one little thing you see, that one little piece of information, you see how important it can be. And how it can sit there and you can sit there, reflect on that and go, wow, that's amazing that God would allow that guy to write one of his Gospels as a testimony to the Jews saying, look, I came for everybody. I came for everyone. And then um, when I look at this passage in particular, the main point of it is Jesus is trying to say to to these disciples that, um, that following him is going to require a cost. There's going to be a suffering involved with following him. And I know that I'm the only person in the room that thinks this, but sometimes I think that following Jesus will bring comfort and not suffering, right? That's how I tend to approach my walk with him. Even though intellectually I know that's not the case, I still expect, very often expect comfort and not suffering because I have followed after him. And Jesus here says the complete opposite. Now I want to show how all of this can tie into and fuel a prayer life that um, is centered on scripture. There's a, a, uh, a great Greek philosopher named Anonymous Get to my next slide here. Um, he said this quote He says, A Christian who does not pray is like a man who does not breathe. He cannot survive. And it's true of us spiritually. That if you were to go through life and you just held your breath or you didn't eat food, you would die, physically die. And the same is true of us spiritually if we don't expose ourselves to Scripture and engaging with God through prayer. And so I want to answer just very quickly um, how do we tie these kinds of studies of Scripture into prayer? Here's how we do it. How do we pray? And I generally hate acronyms, but I'm going to give you an acronym anyway this morning. And this is one that many people will use. It's not a formula. It's just a way for you to remember what, to, how to pray and, and what things to focus on. And it's ACTS, A-C-T-S, and the A stands for adoration. This is where the part of your prayer time where you're just giving God praise for who he is as God, praising God for his character, praising God for his character, If you're a guy and you don't like the word adore, I mean, call it, give him props. I don't know, just use whatever word you want to use. But um, adoration, what what can I praise God for? Qualities of who he is. Number two, confession. This is really where the rubber meets the road. What sins does this passage convict me of, and how can I confess those to God and turn from those things and repent and turn turn towards Jesus? Confession. If you don't ever confess sin to God, it's impossible to have a vibrant walk with God if you don't confess sin to him. That should be a continuous thing, a continuous thing. And you shouldn't focus just on one sin like lust, right? For a lot of people, they'll focus on one thing, especially in the teen years. God, just give me victory over this. Give me victory over this. And guys, that's just one of your sins, like, you need to be honest about all of your sins and confess all those things to God. Number three, thanksgiving. What can I thank God for? What can I thank him for in my life? And then lastly, supplication. You might ask, what does that mean? I asked the same question, looked up this morning. And basically, it's intercessory prayer. It's interceding for yourself and others, asking God for things. right? This is the definition of that. It's basically just saying, God, I need this in my life now it's not selfish to pray that way if you're praying for the right things it's not selfish you should pray for needs that you have and also needs that that others have as well and so that's just a way to kind of think through and let and let those passages fuel your prayer life as you go through this i always try to 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 read first and then pray so that the passage can shape my prayer time with god that's what i try to do as much as i can Here's some principles for you to think of when you pray. And like I just said, let Scripture shape your prayers. You want to let Scripture be like a menu for you because otherwise you'll just pray the same thing all over again all the time, right? You'll say your, your little prayer time before you go to bed. You'll just say the same things over. It, it'll be like a, um, a birthday card, just the same words, blah, 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 blah. And you got to let Scripture fuel your prayer life so that it can be more genuine as you go to God those kinds of prayer times also as we saw in psalm 13 pray honestly pray honestly because god knows what's happening in here anyway right he already knows but pray honestly and admit to yourself and to god and confess to him where you're really at god can handle it he is god and then thirdly uh pray your tears i stole these last two from a couple of sermon titles from tim keller pray your tears what are you emotional about? What's driving your emotions? Pray, pray about those things. Instead of Facebooking your tears, pray your tears, right? So often we just go and we we say to ten different people we're upset about, we've yet to go to God and tell him and confess those things to him. You see David doing this throughout the Psalms. Pray your tears. Pray your tears. And then lastly, pray your fears. Pray your fears. What are you afraid of? What is concerning to you? What are you anxious about? Once again, instead of Facebooking your fears, pray your fears. Pray those things to God. God can handle it. He is He is God. Now I know some are going to walk out of here and you're going to say, that's just, that's just too simplistic. It's too simple. It's too formulaic. And you're going to find some other way to connect with god experience god but i'm telling you these are these are supposed to be tools not rules for you they're supposed to help you right don't make it a formula like this exact formula every single time but they're, they're a way to support and and to help you grow god's given us those things in his grace to help us do that and so i encourage you that direction um i also want you to see this one last uh quote planned prayer primes you for unplanned prayer and so I try to frame the day in the morning by going to God for that intentional, um, focused time with God. And what I think happens when you do that, if you, if you frame your day that way, you'll find yourself spontaneously praying more throughout the day because you've been primed for it. And so focused prayer should not be the only time you pray, but focused prayer can prime you for unplanned, spontaneous prayer throughout the day as, as, as God leads you in those directions. Now, um, something interesting happened to me yesterday, and I just kind of felt like I wanted to talk about it uh, at the end here. And I walked into HEB, and I had uh, this Washington Redskins shirt on, and I'm walking through the store with my son, and this old man walks up to me, and he goes, he goes, oh, so you're a Redskins fan? I said, yeah. And he goes, he goes oh, well, I used to play for the Green Bay Packers. And I'm like, what? This guy's like 82 years old. I'm looking at the guy going, Really? And so, um, he says, yeah, he said, I was, uh, drafted in, uh, the third round and, um, I played at UT for college and I played for the Packers and, um, he goes, I'm still actually the, uh, the career interception leader for the Packers. And it wasn't like he was bragging. He was just, you could tell it was this old guy who just wanted to connect with somebody and it was weird because he just wanted to tell somebody like who he really is, right? And, um... We had this cool conversation. He was coached by Vince Lombardi, Vince Lombardi's first year in the league. Um, he played against Sammy Baugh, a Redskin quarterback that I know about. That's actually from Temple as well. Sammy Baugh's from Temple. And um, we had this really cool conversation in the middle of HEB. And so I got his name, and I went home, and I was like, I'm going to Google this guy. Is this guy really legit? And so I got a picture of him here. This is Bobby Dillon's his name, right? Went to Temple High School back in a long time ago. Played for UT, then played for the Packers. And um, and he still to this day is the career interception leader for the Packers. And he did all of this with one eyeball. He was blind in one eye his whole life, right? Amazing. And I'm sitting there going, I just met this guy in HEB. He's like, he's just an old guy in HEB to me, and now he's like this football hero. And he went to Temple High School. Do you guys know about this guy? Anybody here know about this guy? Anyone? All right, okay, so one person. So then I began thinking about this, and I thought about, you know how often it is that we want people to know us? We want someone to know us and our accomplishments and what we're about. And so much of our time and energy is focused on us wanting other people to know us and to know who we really are. And we spend so little time and energy Getting to know who God is and who God really is. Just, just make a list of the stuff that you do throughout the day. How much of that stuff is just your attempt to get other people to recognize you, know who you are, and how little time do we, do we spend getting to know who God is? Do you live your life for to know his glory or to make your own glory known to other people? Go ahead and discuss your last uh, few questions at your table. So go ahead and discuss.